I want to invite you to grab your Bibles with me this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, that's okay. Uh, We have some that will be provided for you there in the uh, pew rack right in front of you. Uh, You grab that black uh, pew Bible and you can flip to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 20. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 29 through verse 34. As you guys are turning there, I want to invite you to pray with me one more time before we look at God's Word together. Lord, we thank you this morning that you are a merciful and willing Savior. We thank you this morning that your heart towards us is not a heart of anger or malice. Lord, that your heart towards us is not punitive and that you uh, do not punish us for every wrong thing that we've ever done, that that when trials and hardships come upon us, when suffering comes upon us, we can be confident that that is not you getting us back for something that we've done wrong. Lord, we're thankful this morning that your heart towards us is one of compassion and mercy and tenderness and love. Lord, as we turn to your word and we see these truths played out in this story of the healing of these two blind men, Lord, I pray that you would give us all eyes to see. Lord, um, maybe not physical eyes to see, but spiritual eyes to see. Spiritual eyes to see your heart and your compassion towards us. Spiritual eyes to see your power and your might. Spiritual eyes to see the truthfulness and the goodness of the gospel so that we might believe on Christ and be saved. Pray these things in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. In Matthew chapter 20, I want to read for us verses 29 through 34. And so if you are able, I'd like to invite you one more time to stand with me as I read for us God's word. This is his holy inspired and inerrant word for us this morning. It says, as they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. And two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly told them to be quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And Jesus stopped and he called them and he said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight, and they followed him. You may be seated. Well, our story this morning is a very simple story. It's a very straightforward, short story. Stories like this seem to be told time and time again throughout the Gospels. And at this point in Matthew's account of Jesus' life and ministry, Jesus is well on his way. He is ready to go to Jerusalem to die on the cross for the forgiveness of all of our sin. Jericho is his last stop on his way to the cross. And as he is getting ready to go out from this city, 
A great crowd of people have now gathered about Jesus and they are traveling with him, making this journey to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And these two blind beggars sitting at the gate interrupt Jesus' journey. Right? As you see there, following this story immediately there in chapter 1, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem is recorded. And every single one of the Gospel writers includes the story that we read today about the healing of these blind men from Jericho. And the question that you might ask is, why in the midst of such a monumental and important scene in salvation history, I mean, Jesus is on His way to Jerusalem to die on the cross. Why would the Gospel writers tell the story of these two blind beggars? Well, I think the answer to that question is found in verse 34. In verse 34, it says that Jesus was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. And He touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight. And they followed him. In this verse, we see the heart of our Savior. We come face to face, not only with what Jesus does for us, but who Jesus is, is our compassionate and willing Savior. You see, because what Jesus does for us his work of redemption and dying on the cross in our place for the redemption of our sins. His work flows directly out of who He is. A willing and loving and compassionate Savior. As we work our way through this short scene in Jesus' journey to the cross, I hope that you will see that Jesus is not only more than able to save sinners like you and me, but he is also more than willing to save sinners like you and me. So if you have your notes this morning, you see there we have two main points in our outline. Point number one there, we see a persistent plea for mercy. There's a persistent plea for mercy. So this story picks up as Jesus makes his way towards Jerusalem. Now it's interesting here that Matthew, uh, just before this story, includes a story about his disciples. Uh, and and uh, these disciples, the sons of Zebedee, uh, are arguing with one another about who's going to be the greatest when Christ comes in the fullness of his kingdom. And the argument's been going on for some time, and evidently it's gotten so bad that now mamas are getting involved. You know, argument's bad when a mama gets involved. And so mama gets involved and comes to Jesus and says, hey, you got to pick who's going to sit in the seat of authority with you as you come into your kingdom. You see, the problem is with this story and what's being shown to us is that the disciples are caught up in all of the glory of Christ in His earthly ministry. But what we'll see is, is that so often as the disciples are caught up in the glory of Christ, they don't often share in His compassionate heart. They want a piece of the glory, but they don't often show the compassion 
that Christ has. It was common in Jesus' ministry, especially there towards the end of his life, that huge crowds would follow after him as he would come into and leave towns and cities. Crowds of people would have potentially made up of many travelers who were making this journey uh, to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover season. Many of them were probably traveling along with Jesus and his disciples just because of Jesus' popularity. They wanted to see him perform miracles. They wanted to hear him teach. Many people in this crowd would have been believers, even the disciples themselves. And as Jesus leaves Jericho, he makes his way towards the city gates. The text tells us that there are two blind men sitting by the roadside. Now, it was common for those who were blind or who had other handicaps in Jesus' day, who had diseases and different things, that they would sit along the roadside outside of the city gates where they could beg from travelers who were going in and out of the city. So these were beggars. And these two blind men were sitting there that day, just like any other day, probably would have sat in the same spot day after day, uh, begging for food or for money, anything just to get them by because of their physical handicap. They weren't able to work. So they sat there just like they did day after day. But today was different. They heard the crowd and they heard that in the midst of that crowd, Jesus was with them. And when they hear that Jesus was passing by, they begin to cry out, Lord, have mercy on us, Son of David. Now it says here that they, been, they begin to, to cry out, to call out uh, to Jesus. This literally, this word cries out, literally means they were screaming. They were screaming above the noise of the crowd, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, there are a few things about their cries for mercy that stand out. You first, notice the title they give to Jesus. They call him son of David. Son of David. Son of David is a title that was used in the Old Testament, used all throughout the people in Jesus' day. It was the title for the Messiah, the long-expected Messiah, the promised one. Matthew begins his gospel by giving us the genealogy of David or genealogy of Jesus, uh, and he says there in chapter one, verse one, Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This title reminds us of the covenant that God makes with King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 uh, when he says that one of David's sons would sit on his throne forever and to his kingdom there would be no end. And so these blind beggars call out in faith to their Messiah, Son of David, have mercy on us. Another thing that stands out to me about their cry for mercy is their humility. You notice their humility here. You notice that these blind men, they're not asking Jesus why they were dealt such a hard hand in life. They're not blaming Jesus for their suffering or for their hardship. They're not blaming God and ask Jesus for, for their blindness and then asking Jesus to, to set that wrong right again. No, they're humble in their cry. So often we could use a dose of that same humility. This reminds me of 
another scene in the Gospels when Jesus' disciples are uh, with him and he is healing a blind man, a man that the Gospel says was uh, born blind from birth in John chapter 9. And the disciples ask, who was it that sinned? Was it this man or was it his parents that sinned that, that made him blind? And so often we can, we can make that same error, can't we? If we're honest with ourselves, so often we can have that same error that the disciples made. We think that God is punitive in his punishments. I think that when we make that same error, we confuse who God really is. We confuse his heart. When things go bad for us in life, we think that God must be punishing us for something that we did that was wrong. We think that maybe if we can just figure out exactly what wrong that we did that caused God to punish us in that way, that maybe we can make up for it, do a little bit of extra good, you know, to tip the scales a little bit in our favor with God, and maybe God will lighten up a bit. More often, this kind of wrong thinking makes us feel just sorry for ourselves. This attitude that we can so often have, this is not gospel thinking. This is self-centered Phariseeism. This is having the heart of the Pharisee that Pastor David read to us in the parable that Jesus said. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this sinner. That's not what these men do. These men cry out to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Their heart is very similar to the heart of the tax collector in that parable, isn't it? Have mercy on me, a sinner. They realize that they don't deserve it. They can't do anything to earn Jesus' mercy. They don't have any money. They don't have any record of good deeds done to bring to Him. They can't even physically look Him in the eye. But that doesn't stop their cries for mercy. Finally, what stands out to me about their cry is their persistence. You notice their persistence. As as they scream, their screams echo through the crowds. The the men of the crowds, uh, or the, the people that are in the crowd, begin to rise above the hustle and bustle, and they begin to rebuke these men, telling them to be quiet. It says in verse 31, the crowd sternly told them, To be quiet. Hush up. That didn't stop these blind beggars from missing their opportunity. I mean, here is Jesus, right? In this glorious moment. People all around Him praising Him and these smelly, stinky, poor, blind beggars are ruining a glorious moment. So the crowd begins to tell them to hush. They literally begin to rebuke them for their cries. But these men have heard about Jesus. They've heard of Jesus' reputation. They know that He has healed many people just like them before. And this is their chance. This is their chance. This is their opportunity and they will never get another To meet Jesus. And so were a few rebukes from the crowd. A few unkind words from some frustrated people will not deter them from their plea. 
So Matthew says, they cried out all the more. I love that. They cried out all the more. Friends, I hope that you will not miss an opportunity to cry out to Jesus for mercy. The Scripture says that today is the day of salvation. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you've never put your trust in Jesus, you've never repented of your sins, I am so glad that you are here today. And I'm glad that you're here today so that you can hear and so that you can see from this story the goodness and the willingness of Jesus to save you from your sin. Right? You see, friend, Jesus' heart of compassion, which is shown in this small story here, is the same heart that is put on display as he is nailed to a cross on Calvary's mount for you in your place, dying to take the punishment for your sin that you deserve. If you've never put your trust in Jesus, I ask you today, please cry out to Him for mercy. Don't miss this opportunity today to do your soul eternal good and to cry out to our compassionate and willing Savior. To those of you who are here this morning, you're believers, you are trusting in Jesus. We see in this story, we're reminded that we never, ever outgrow our need for Jesus to do us spiritual good. We see here a reminder that we must not be arrogant or puffed up because of the mercy that Jesus has shown to us. Church family, never miss an opportunity to allow Christ to do your heart spiritual good. Good. Too many Christians today allow the things in our lives to distract us from the means of grace that Christ uses to do our hearts good. We think, I just need that vacation. I just need that latest toy, and it'll satisfy my heart. Christian, do not be fooled by the things of this world. Do not miss the opportunity and neglect your soul to do good. Finally, I think there's a warning for us here not to behave like the crowd. (laughs) You know, sometimes we as Christians, we can hinder those who are in desperate need of mercy from finding that mercy in Christ. Jesus has a heart of compassion for the most desperate of sinners. That's who he came to save. In church, if we're going to call ourselves by the name of Christ, we must share in his heart of compassion for those who are in need of Jesus. We need to be careful that we're not like the disciples here in Matthew chapter 20, where we want to share in the glory of Christ, but not reflect the heart of Christ. What Jesus calls us to as his followers is to reflect his compassionate heart towards those who desperately need mercy, who desperately need salvation and to lead them to the Savior. That brings us to point two. The willingness of Jesus to save. The willingness of Jesus to save. Some translations here say that Jesus had pity 
that Jesus in pity uh, called these men to himself. Maybe that's what your translation says. I, I'm reading for them from the New American Standard translation, and I think it, it translates it well that he's moved with compassion, that he has a compassionate heart towards these men, these desperate, blind beggars. Jesus hears their cry, and he calls them to himself. We see his heart of compassion play out in a couple of different ways here. Okay, so first we see that Jesus hears their cry and he calls them to himself. If you read the other accounts of this story, we actually, uh, the other gospel writers fill in some details here that Matthew leaves out. Uh, Actually, the other gospel writers uh, name one of these men, Bartimaeus. You may have heard of blind Bartimaeus. This is one of these men uh, here in Matthew chapter 20 that Jesus heals. As, As Jesus is uh, in the midst of this crowd and they're singing his praises and, and, and they're calling out his name, blind Bartimaeus and his friend, they call out for Jesus for mercy and Jesus hears their cry and he calls them to himself. In Mark chapter 10, in Mark's version of this story, Mark chapter 10 verse 49 says that Jesus sent messengers he calls the men to himself by sending messengers to the men. He, he grabs some of the crowd's people and he says, go and get those guys and bring them to me. And so the messengers go to these blind men and Mark chapter 10 verse 49 says, these messengers say to the blind men, take courage, stand up. He is calling for you. There's an invitation there, isn't there, to come to the Savior. Mark goes on to say that these blind men throw off their cloaks and leave them where they're standing and go back. You know, I think that's an interesting detail that Mark includes in the story, uh, that a blind man would throw down a cloak, something that he owns, and leave it in a place to to go into a place that he, he can't see where he's going to go and find the Savior. Here's why I think that's a neat detail. Those blind men throw off their cloaks because they know that in just a few minutes they're going to be able to see. And they're going to be able to come and find those cloaks. They're not afraid of losing them. (laughs) They'll, They'll be able to come back and find them because they have faith that Christ is going to restore their sight. Jesus in His compassion stops the whole procession with all of its hustle and bustle, with all of the cries of praise, with all of the shouts of glory, And he calls these men to come. We see another example of this in the gospel story, actually in the same city of Jericho. uh, Probably at the same time that this took place. Jesus is going into Jericho. There's a great crowd of people following around. And he comes to a sycamore tree. And he looks up in that sycamore tree and there's a wee little man named Zacchaeus who's a tax collector, a thief, a robber, somebody that the people in Jericho would have hated because he stole from them on a regular basis and got away with it. And Jesus looks up in that tree and he calls to himself that sinner. Zacchaeus, come down from there. I'm staying at your house today. That's still a mark of the compassionate heart of the Savior. That Jesus calls sinners to himself. That same work of compassion of calling sinners to himself is the same heart that Jesus has today. He calls us as sinners, come to me, he says. 
all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus calls sinners to himself. Some of you may be here this morning and you say, well, well, Christ would never call a sinner like me. You don't understand how bad I've been. You don't understand how far I've gone. Well, friend, you're exactly the kind of person that Jesus calls to. There's a pastor from the 1500s named Richard Sibbs. Richard Sibbs was a Puritan pastor, came right after, actually, the, on the heels of the Reformation. He was an Anglican pastor, and uh, he wrote a book called The Bruised Reed. Uh, talking about the compassionate heart of our Savior. And he says in that book that there is more forgiveness in Christ than there is sin in you. Friend, I don't care how much you think you've sinned. I don't care how bad your sin may have been. There is more forgiveness in Christ than there is sin in you. Come to Jesus as He calls and He will save you. Jesus not only reaches out in compassion by calling them to Himself, but Jesus also listens to their suffering. You see that Jesus also listens to their suffering. He listens to their requests. Jesus, in His compassion, listens to them. He identifies Himself with them. He says to them, what can I do for you? What do you want me to do? And the men say to Jesus, we need sight. We want our eyes to be opened again. Jesus hears their cry. He listens to their cry. But He also listens to their suffering. He listens to their testimony of suffering and He identifies with it in compassion. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 10 says that we have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our suffering. There is not one situation in life, not one hardship or pain, not one temptation or loss that your Savior does not feel keenly along with you. Church family, take your sorrows to Jesus. He will listen to you. And He will compassionately and willingly save. So Jesus' heart of compassion is displayed by His calling his heart of compassion is displayed by his listening. And then finally, his compassion is shown by his touch. The text here says uh, that moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes. He touched their eyes. Just like all the many times that he has healed before, Jesus shows his mercy by reaching out and touching those who would have been untouchable in that day. Now, Jesus heals in many different ways in the Gospels. Sometimes He touches people. Sometimes He simply speaks words. He's not even in the same city. Not even in the same region as the person that He heals. He just speaks words and, and they're healed from wherever they are. Sometimes people are healed by touching Jesus. You think of the woman with a blood disorder who reach out and reaches out and grabs the hem of Jesus' garment and she's healed. Sometimes Jesus uses uh, the stuff of the earth. Tells them to go dip in a pond or He picks up clay and spits and rubs it in people's eyes to heal them. Sometimes he, Jesus takes His fingers and sticks them in people's ears. 
uh, to heal them from their deafness. There are all different kinds of ways that Jesus healed, but he always healed. In this case, he reached out and he touched their eyes. And the creator of the universe who spoke everything into existence without anything created a new set of seeing eyes for each one of these men. That's a miracle. It's a miracle that proves Jesus' power. It's a miracle that proves Jesus' divinity. Only God could do such a miracle. But there's another miracle mentioned in this verse. There's another miracle mentioned in this verse, and it's the response of the men after they're healed. Look down again at verse 34. It says, moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. They followed him. Again, the other gospel writers fill in a few details here that that Matthew doesn't include. We know that when Jesus touched their eyes, he said to them, go, your faith has made you well. And they began following him. Literally, it says there in Mark's telling of the gospel, Jesus says, go, your faith has saved you. Not just made you well, but the word there that's used for made you well is saved. It's the same word that's used for saved. Your faith has saved you. You see, Jesus not only gives these men seeing eyes, he gives them a new heart. They're saved from their sins, and their response is that they follow after Jesus. Well, some of you might read that and say, well, of course they followed Jesus. He just healed them. They joined a part of the crowd and go out with the parade into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover with the rest of the people. We say, well, maybe they just merely followed after Jesus to see what he was going to do next. But I don't think that's what happens. Luke adds to the story, they followed him, glorifying God. And something else amazing happens. As these men follow after Jesus after being healed, glorifying God with new eyes and new hearts, Luke says that the crowd around him gathered together, began to follow him, saying, praise God, praise God. They begin to chant. And this is the scene that carries us into the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. You remember that story? We looked at it a couple weeks ago in Sunday school. Last week in Sunday school, we looked at the triumphal entry, right? That Jesus goes in and he's accompanied by a great crowd. They're waving palm branches, singing Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the Pharisees rebuke Jesus and say, silence this crowd. Tell them to be quiet. Jesus said, if I tell them to be quiet, the rocks themselves will This is where that starts. All of this starts on this journey from Jericho to Jerusalem by these two blind men receiving their sight and receiving new hearts. So there's two miracles that happen in this text. Not only does Jesus restore these men's sight, that's a miracle in and of itself, but Jesus also restores their hearts. Isn't it interesting 
that in Jesus' day and in our day as well, we have no problem seeing that these men's sight being restored is miraculous. And it is indeed a miracle. But more miraculous than that, even more miraculous than blind men being given sight, these men's hearts are changed and they begin to follow Jesus in faith. When Jesus in compassion restores our spiritual sight and He calls sinners to repentance and faith in Him, when a person today repents of their sins and puts their faith in Jesus, that's no less of a miracle. This is a miracle that Christ did and this is a miracle that Christ still does today. So in the case of these two blind men, you see... Jesus' heart of compassion. You see his willingness to heal those who are afflicted. But you also see his willingness to save lost sinners. You have a wonderful picture here of what Jesus is able to do in our own hearts. No matter how lost you may be, no matter how far off from him you are, no matter how unworthy you may be, Jesus is ready, Jesus is willing and Jesus is able to save you. He will respond to your cries for help. Let's pray. Father, as we come to worship you now and to respond to your word, I pray, Lord, for those that are here perhaps who have never put their faith in you. Lord, those who are here this morning who are so weighed down by their sin and their guilt that they can't imagine that you would be a willing Savior. They can't imagine that you would look upon them in pity and with compassion and readiness to save. I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would give them eyes to see the willingness of Jesus to save, the ability of Jesus to save, Lord, I pray for all of us who are here today that we would behold the compassionate heart of Jesus. Lord, that you would give us that same heart of compassion towards sinners. Lord, that you would humble us to help us to know that we, too, need that same mercy and need that same compassion. So for those who are here today who are trusting in you, but who are still weighed down with sin and burdened with their suffering and temptations and trials in life, I pray, Father, that, that the hardness of their sin would not harden their heart towards your compassion towards them. Lord, I pray that we would lift our cares to you, that we would cry out to you, and that, Lord, you would save us in your mercy. We pray these things in Christ's name.